welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Welcome to you all. My name is Micah. If we have not met, um, by the way, I'm the lead pastor here at Awaken. We're going to be in um, we're going to be in a couple different places this morning in the book of Mark and in the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to go to Mark chapter 12. Um, as you do, I just want to make a couple of quick announcements about a couple of things I'm very excited about. The first of which is that Awaken and a number of other churches, three other churches and Bethel University are partnering to bring uh, Austin Channing, Channing Brown to the Twin Cities on November 17th uh, at 7 p.m. Uh, Austin wrote a book called uh, I'm Still Here. Uh, the subtitle is Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. And so uh, I want to invite you to, to, to come. Um, if you would like to grow and be challenged in this whole area of race and diversity and justice, uh, I want to invite you to come and be there for that. It's at the Stepping Stone Theater, again, 7 o'clock. Uh, suggested donation, but it's a free event. So if you can help cover the cost, great. If you can't, um, please don't think that, um, or don't not come because of uh, resources. I'm very excited about that. Uh, we're reading uh, a couple. Of, we're reading a book as a staff connected to this, and then um, plan to read this book on our way to this event. So excited about that! Want to invite you to be there. And then the second thing is, uh, next week actually we're going to start a new series. And I have to be honest, I am as nervous as I am excited about this series. Atticus Finch in the book *To Kill a Mockingbird* has this great quote where he says, you can never really get to know someone until you get in their skin and walk a mile in their shoes, essentially. Uh, that's a rough paraphrase of this great quote. And so the series is called To Walk a Mile. And essentially, um, I've invited four different people to come and share their story with us. And so we'll be uh, essentially, you know, I'm going to turn on my inner Jimmy Fallon and Krista Tippett and try to interview, um, for those that don't know, Chris Tippett does On Being, one of the greatest interviewers of our time, I would argue. Uh, and I'm just going to interview and invite four different people to share their story with us. And so we'll be uh, having a discussion and conversation with um, uh, a lesbian woman who's a Christian and a person of faith. Uh, we'll be asking a, a gay man who's a Christian and a person of faith to share their stories about what it's like being gay and uh, a Christian. And that journey of um, walking that out, we'll be uh, having a conversation with an African-American man uh, and asking what is it like to be black in America and um, to be a man and black in America? Um, what's been your experience like? And then a biracial couple um, and asking them to share their journey about um, being a biracial couple and all of the nuance of that and what it's like to raise a son. Um, so um, you don't grow churches doing things like this. <laughs> uh, and yet this is the kind of community that Awaken has been and wants to be. Um, I'm not going to ask everyone to agree with everything that's heard and everything that's spoken, but I am going to ask you to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Um, the beginning of compassion is the capacity to enter someone else's story and understand from their perspective. And so uh, these are often very divisive topics and conversations. And I do recognize that the conversation around race and justice is not the same conversation around uh, the queer community and inclusion and what that looks like in the church. Um, these are not the same conversations, though they are related. Uh, but they're often really divisive. And um, one of the ways that we... I think, attempt to sort of t 
temper, the tone and, uh, the, uh, in the room is to say, share your story. And, um, and so as a pastor, I'm going to invite us as a community to really walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. So um, I'm as, ex- as excited as I am nervous about that, and I've been listening to all the interviews I can to try to be a good interviewer. So um, I would invite you to just to pray uh, for me. I would really appreciate your prayers, but also the people that we've invited to, to do this. Um, this is a really, really giant ask uh, that I have made and uh, that you all have made on, uh, without knowing. Um, and so these people have said yes to a really risky, risky endeavor. And so I just ask that you pray for the next four weeks that God would um, surprise us and be near us in ways that maybe we didn't anticipate. Does that sound good? Okay, to walk a mile next week, everybody. Um, okay, let's finish this series. How about that? Uh, we're, we're closing a series called Mastering the Art of Living this morning, and we've been in this for the last three weeks uh, comes from a, a, a verse in John where Jesus says, I've come to give life to the full. One author, one translator says, actually, Eugene Peterson, may he rest in peace, who's gone to be with the Lord, said, I came, he translates this verse, I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they have ever dreamed of. So Jesus' claim is that he comes to show us what it looks like to be human. And if that's true, then a group of people gathered in Jesus' name um, could be, ought to be, might be, a group of people who are learning how to live life better. Um, Not that this is about making our lives better, but if Jesus says, I've come to give and show the best kind of life, then what would it look like for us to sort of be in that flow of mastering the art of living human lives? Uh, And so we've looked at what does it mean to be a church, and what does it mean to respond to the invitation God has given to partner in this work of restoration. And then the last two weeks, we've looked at these two of three rhythms that we want to sort of center our our community life around, which are to gather as the people of God and to be people of service with a posture of service to the world. The Son of Man comes to not be served, but to serve, Jesus says. And then this morning, we're going to look at um, this idea of living. So gather, serve, and live. And if last week in serving was about breathing out, then this week and community is about live uh, or breathing in. What does it mean to be to live lives in community with one another that are marked by a certain quality? Uh, so if last week was breathing out, this is about breathing in. And what does it mean to be a community? So that's where we're headed this morning. I want to begin by making a distinction and a, and a delineation between two ideas. And the two ideas are essentially. Um, What we say we believe, so essentially what we affirm, what we assent to, what we say with our words or in our heads or in our hearts, I believe this, and then what we actually live with our real actual lives. Um, In theology, these two words are orthodoxy and orthopraxy. So orthodoxy is right belief, right? What do we believe to be true? And then orthopraxy is what are the practices? What are the ways in which that actually is lived out in our life? Um, So much of Christianity, and especially, if I'm being honest, evangelical and Protestant Christianity puts a huge emphasis on orthodoxy, right belief. What do we believe and is the mental furniture around spirituality and Jesus and the Bible, is it arranged properly in our heads and do we assent to the right things, orthodoxy. And that's a good thing, actually. Orthodoxy is really important. What you think and what you believe informs how you live your life. So one isn't more important than the other, but let's just be honest about, in our 
um, uh, the water we're swimming in as evangelical Protestants, we often privilege or put more emphasis on what we believe, orthodoxy. So at Awaken, as we think about this series that we're doing, and these three important rhythms of gather, serve, and live, what we mean when we say live is if you follow Jesus, we're invited to show up to our actual lived lives in a particular way, marked by a certain idea that we're going to sort of flesh out here, and in community with one another. The Bible begins with a story about two humans, and it says that they're not good for them to be alone, and so two of them are made, right? And that this idea of being human is best done not alone, but rather in community. So what does it mean to be in community with one another? And as important as what you say you believe is, how you live your actual life, I would argue, is more important. And here's why. Because you can say you believe all kinds of things, but when you live your life, it's informed by what you actually believe. So you can say, I believe that you know, God is gracious and God is love and so on and so forth, but then if you're a, a real jerk when you show up to your interactions with people that are different than you, you could argue that you don't actually believe that's true. You might say it is with your head or with your words, but what you, how you live, how you show up in your actual life is that a, a, I would say, a better indicator of what you actually believe is true. So, to get at this this morning, I want to sort of walk you through a progression in Scripture that will inform how we answer these two questions. Number one, what's the driving force behind the life of the Christian? What's the animating energy behind the life of someone of faith, a particular Christian faith? And then, what does it mean to be in community, in relationship with one another? So that's where we're headed this morning. Um, first, what's the driving or animating force behind the life of the Christian? Said differently, what's the most important thing? What's the distinctive character of how people who follow Jesus actually live their life? What's the basis for our orthopraxy? If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 12. And we're going to look at a couple passages, but uh, I'll invite you to stand for this one. At Awaken, we often stand for the reading of the word to say a few things. We want to honor it. We want to be ready to hear it, because it's not just about hearing the word, but it's about doing the word. So, John, uh, Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. Jesus says, well, this is a conversation we're entering. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, he answered, or answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your, uh, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. God, as we turn our attention to your word and attempt to try to understand who you are and who you've called us to be. Holy Spirit, be present with us. We're, we're Trinitarian people. We affirm Father, Son, and Spirit. So Spirit, be with us. Be near us. Speak to us. Guide us. Challenge us. Invite us to be the kinds of people that you know we can be in you. So that's our prayer. That's our hope. In the strong name of Christ, the church said together, amen. amen. Please be seated, if you will. I don't know about you, but um, 
there were a couple of great debates in my family growing up. I had four brothers, and so there were five boys, and so there were a couple of debates that sort of always happened in my family. And uh, in our family, they, 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 <laughs> I still look back on this, and I'm like, I don't know why, and I have no reason, uh, like I have no, no uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I don't know why we always yelled and screamed and fought about this, but for us it was about who the sugar keeper was and who the milk keeper was. You know? So breakfast at the Withams was cereal often. Like we ate a lot of cereal. When my mom would go shopping for milk, she would buy not like one or two, but like three and four gallons of milk at a time. And we would just house these things. So we would come down the stairs in the morning and there was just this giant fight about who was the sugar keeper and who was the milk keeper. And it was the, the, the way you discerned this was, well, I called dot, dot, dot. You know what I'm talking about? When you're in the car and you're like, I called. So you'd come down the stairs and the first person would say, I call sugar keeper or I call milk keeper. And basically that just meant that like you got to keep the sugar near you during <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> That's all. And when someone wanted the sugar, they had to ask you for it. So maybe it was a little bit of control and you felt like you were in power, you know, if you were the sugar keeper or the milk keeper. But the great debate of the Witham household around breakfast was who was the sugar keeper and who was the milk keeper. This question that we've entered into in, in Mark's gospel is one of the great debates of Jesus' day. This is not a surprise for a Jew, first century Jewish rabbi for someone to say which commandment is the greatest. We've entered a very deep and wide conversation in ancient Judaism that these people would have been talking about and arguing about and a, a rabbi or a teacher would have a thought or a, a sort of interpretation of and this is Jesus's. So he says... Which is the greatest commandment? If you were to sum up the, the, the law, the, 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 the guy who's asking the question, if you were to sum it all up, what matters most? What should be the driving or animating force of someone if they're in relationship with God? That's the question. And Jesus, oftentimes, he's asked questions. But if you notice, he typically doesn't answer them. Read through the gospel sometime, and when Jesus has asked a question, Usually it's coming from a place of skepticism or someone who's trying to trick Jesus or catch him in a trap so that they can use it against him. And often Jesus skirts the issue and actually kind of goes around it. But this time there's an honest question and the guy, or Jesus, answers it. He says, what's the greatest commandment? If you were to sum it all up, what is it? And so Jesus tells them, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Essentially, love is to be the driving force, the animating energy of our lives. So I'm driving up to the fall retreat uh, on Friday night, and uh, I, like I said, I've been listening to a lot of interviews, and so I was listening to Krista Tippett. Uh, she does On Being on NPR, and uh, she's fantastic. It was an interview with ta Coates, who wrote We Were Eight Years in Power and uh, the other book, uh, Between the World and Me. And there's this point along the way when they stop for, for sort of a commercial. Do you know what I'm saying? And so it's, you know, this, sponsor, this episode is sponsored by the Fetzer Institute. And usually I don't listen to these things, but this one caught me by surprise. This is a quote. This, is, this episode is sponsored by the Fetzer Institute. Helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer envisions a world that embraces love as the guiding principle and animating force for our lives. A powerful love that helps us live in sacred relationships with ourselves, one another, and the natural world. <laughs> I would only add to that, 
helping us live in sacred relationships with the divine, ourselves, one another, and the natural world. So here's like some organization, some institute out there who totally gets it. That love is to be the animating energy of the people who, well, according to, uh, who are a part of this organization, but, but also somehow they've gotten onto this stream that love is to be the animating force, the animating energy for the people of God. Jesus then takes this command, right? He says, what's the greatest command? Love, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is to be the animating energy behind everything you do. Jesus takes it a step further in John chapter 13, verse 34, where he writes this. Simon Peter uh, should be 34, not 24. So John chapter, and if we had another hour, we would get that right next time, but we only have one. So John 13, 34, and 35 say this. Um, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. How? That you love one another. So Jesus says, here's the greatest commandment. If you could sum up all of the 613 laws of Torah, sum it it up, this is the one that matters the most. If you don't have this, you've missed the whole point. Then he says, I'm going to take it a step further. This love, this animating energy behind everything you do will actually be the very thing that you will be marked by and that anyone who's looking will know you are a part of this thing that I'm doing. Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Takes it a step further and says, this is how you, the world will know. They will only need to look at you and me. Essentially, Jesus is saying that the world will know who I am and what I'm about by the church's witness. How are we doing on that? Not so good, Yeah? When people who are outside of the community of faith look in, how are we doing on that? That is a, like a, a direct litmus test uh, uh, how to keep the score from Jesus. The world will know me because of how you love each other. The million dollar question then is, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Who wrote that, by the way? Who? I don't even know who that is. Hathaway? We'll have to look that up on my way home. I was thinking Boy George, but I was like, I don't think that's right. How do we know what love is? Like, who gets to define it? The world? Hollywood? Maxim Magazine? Something else? Who gets to define love? 1 John 3, 16, yes, this is how we know what love is. It's like it was meant for us. It was meant for me this morning on this sermon. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. How do we know what love looks like? Jesus says this is it. Ascribe worth to other before and even at cost to self. That's my rendition of that. How do you know what love looks like? Love looks like ascribing worth to other first, before me, and even at cost to me. How do we know what love looks like? It's Calvary. It's sacrifice of myself 
for the other, first and foremost. Even sometimes when it costs me, this is what love looks like. Love doesn't serve self. Love doesn't prop me up at your expense. It's the opposite of that, rather. Love comes under. Love empowers. Love lifts up. Love sacrifices my own needs, my own desires, my own uh, uh, well-being even for you and you for me. This is what love looks like. So, to recap, we say at Awaken, we think that mass, part of mastering the art of living, the best kind of lives, includes being a part of this thing that Jesus is called the church, and clarity around why we exist, this partnership that we've been invited into, and then that we would live into some of these practices, that we would aim and focus our life together at gathering, to tell and retell the story of Jesus, to be people of service, that our default is to serve. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve, and then finally, that we would live lives marked by love and cultivate authentic and sacred community outside of Sunday morning. I don't know if you know this or not, but the major thrust of the New Testament and the people of God is actually inhibited by the size of our church. Did you know that? Like what the whole New Testament is inviting us to, authentic, relational community where we know each other and spur one another on to good deeds where we submit to one another, where we challenge one another, is inhibited. It's impossible by the size of our church. Not a lot of pastors saying that. So what do we do? It means we have to be all the more intentional about deconstructing the gathering on Sunday morning and making Awaken smaller. From the very beginning, we've always asked, how do we make Awaken smaller? Why? Because community is impossible once you get past about 10, 12, 15, 25 people. You can't do intentional, authentic community where you actually know the people when you get past like 20. When Paul writes and all these one another's that he admonishes the church to in the New Testament, spur one another on, submit to one another, challenge one another, exhort one another, love one another. His assumption is not 500 people. His assumption is a household, a small group of people intentionally living life together on purpose, with purpose, with intention. So that means we have to work all the harder if this is true, if it's essential that we live in community to do this thing called the Christian life, how do we do that? Programmatically, there's all kinds of ways we're doing that at Awaken. So allow me to just give you a brief um, commercial. Life Groups is our major effort outside of Sunday morning to invite you all to get to know each other. So there are 20 plus life groups that meet all throughout the city. These are important because they, they capture, they, 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 they make possible one of the major pushes, one of the major moves of the New Testament or the invitations of the New Testament for the people of God. Community. So, life groups, 6 to 12 people outside of Sunday who meet together for the purpose of relationship. That you might have people in this church who know what's on your refrigerator door and what those people represent and why those stories matter to you. Covenant groups is another thing we do. Three to six people uh, intentionally uh, gathered around the scriptures and the life that we believe a disciple would live. People who learn how to stop and see God at work in their lives and hear God's voice in their own life, recognize what they bring and respond. Like, this is what we gather around, this curriculum, these ideas. So covenant groups is another thing we do. And I'd like to just say, uh, a new thing that we're starting, 
if you're here at Awaken and you're relatively new and looking for a place to connect or trying to connect, uh, the second Thursday of every month, starting this, this month of uh, October, November actually, yeah, November, community night. So basically, uh, a gathering of people who are interested in connecting outside of Sunday morning. So there will be uh, games, food, drinks, fun, uh, ballyhoo for all, right? There really is no uh, cur curriculum or agenda other than meeting new people. So a normal response, if you were to come to community night, is that was a great conversation. Can I have your phone number or an email? Like, could we continue this? Or let's get together and have coffee later. If you're looking to connect at Awaken and you found it hard, community night, second Thursday of the month, 7 p.m. Put it on your calendars, people. Those are just a couple of the ways we're moving towards this or trying to create tracks, a runway for you to engage in this. Let me close with this. What's required to move towards community? If we're saying that the Christian church should be marked by love and authentic community where we actually know each other and we're in relationship with one another, we're doing life together with intention, that's true, what's going to be required? And when I say community, I'm just going to give you my working definition of it. You can add or subtract, disagree or agree, but where you are free and unafraid to show up and be fully known and know others. So what is community? Like there are groups that gather in our culture, our society. They gather around bowling and softball and golf and knitting and tea. What's community? How is it different? I want to suggest that we're talking about something to click deeper than a group where you're free and unafraid to show up, to take off whatever mask you put on to make it through the day, and to be fully known and to know others. So I'm going to offer a few thoughts as we close, and I'm going to do so by using an illustration, uh, a story that some of you have heard if you've been around Awaken long enough, but it will serve as an illustration for what community will require of us. When I was in college, uh, just graduated from college, I was 22, and uh, recently married, don't recommend that for everyone, some, yes, but not all, um, recently married, and I had a friend named Matt, and I, Matt, we're, we, we were both youth pastors, we were both young and in love and uh, newly married, and trying to be intentional about our lives. And so Matt and I decided, let's get together once a week at sunrise, sunset on Alameda Avenue in Lakewood, Colorado. And we would sit in this dirty, like, greasy spoon with a waitress named Flo. Not really. We would sit knee-to-knee, toe-to-toe, eye-to-eye every week. And we had a list of questions that we decided were worthy of asking one another because we wanted to be intentional about our lives. Questions like... Um, how are you doing loving your spouse? Are you putting them first? Or are you being selfish uh, in your marriage? Are you taking care of your own soul and your own body? Uh, are, you, uh, are you ensuring that you're not looking at things that um, objectify others for your own gain? Uh, are you ensuring that your financial dealings, questions that ensure, like, are your financial dealings, do they lack integrity? So just a number of questions we would ask each other with intention because we wanted to live certain kinds of lives, lives that are marked by love. So we get to this last question. Uh, Micah, have any of your financial dealings lacked integrity? Ah, maybe, maybe. And Matt's like, what do, you, what, what do you mean? So I tell Matt this story. I'm a fly fisherman. Uh, I went to school in Colorado, and so I just loved fly fishing. Totally, uh, I, I skipped a lot of class in the mountains fishing. 
And where you find flies is a really tricky thing because they're tiny. They're just minuscule, but they charge so much for them. And it's like, how on earth do you charge this much for such a small thing? So I go to Kmart, Super Kmart. Never guessed that they, they have flies, but they do in Colorado. So I go in there, and uh, I'm looking through the flies. I'm going on this big trip, and, you know, they give you these little Dixie cups with a lid on it, and the lid has a barcode on it, and it's like $1.25 per fly. So I put like 30 of them in there. And I put them in the little deal, and I go up to the cash register, and I get this uh, young gal who, by all, like, outward appearances, doesn't care about fly fishing, right? She scans the thing, and she's like, that'll be $1.25. You know, I'm ready with my credit card. I'm like, a buck and a quarter, here you go. And I just walked out. Now, what makes matters worse, friends, is I went back the next day. Yeah. I go back, I fill up, I got like 40 flies in there now. I'm like, you know, I'm like, $1.25 for as many as you can pack in this Dixie cup. And I literally, at this point, pause BT dubs, I am an RA on my Christian college campus. I am a worship leader in chapel. I go back, I double dip. <laughs> the same gal is working, I'm like, she's my cashier. She scans it at $1.25. I'm like, this is too good to be true. So I paid $2.50 for like 70 flies. At which point when Matt asked me the question, have any of your financial dealings lacked integrity? I thought, well, it depends on who's asking. So I tell Matt this story, and he's like, Micah, you got to go back. So he, he essentially makes me, challenges me, invites me to go back and like find the cashier and like tell her my Ponzi scheme. Like how I've ripped off Super Kmart. And so that's what I ended up doing. I took out a small business loan <laughs> and paid back Kmart for all the flies I had stolen from them. Why do I share this story? When you move towards authentic community where like someone has the right to ask that kind of question of you and you've invited them into that kind of space, it will require a number of things, no less than these three. Number one, community requires courage. To be able to say, uh, to be able to trust and believe Matt, that he uh, loved me and would actually love me at my best and at my worst requires a great act of courage. To trust someone that they're not going to ditch you when you show them your worst. That's a courageous move. And community, authentic community, asks that of you. It takes courage to trust that someone isn't going to use your information to better themselves. That's a courageous ask to show up to that conversation. It takes courage to offer your failure and your worst moments and your flaws to a friend who maybe could use it any number of ways. The kind of community and lives we're being invited to inhabit and live and move towards will require insane amounts of courage. It is not for the faint of heart because it asks you not to filter out all the bad picks. All the bad pictures. It asks you to not just post all the best moments of your life, but to just let the camera roll. It will require courage, but it will also require vulnerability. 
Christian community marked by love, the kind that the world will know Jesus by, requires us to move towards vulnerability. And nobody wants to do that. I define vulnerability as the moment when you place yourself in someone else's hands. When they or we now collectively determine or discern what's next or what's best. When you, place, when you willingly place yourself in someone else's hands. It's vulnerable. Matt could have done all kinds of things with my story and these actions that I had took. But in this moment, I knew that on my own, I had made a total mess of it and I needed someone else to, to help figure out the best way forward. And so vulnerability asks that when it asks you to admit when you've dropped the ball and when you're not living your best life or when you're choosing darkness instead of light and death instead of life. Brene Brown in a book called Daring Greatly says, vulnerability is not winning or losing. It's having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. Vulnerability is not weakness. It is our greatest measure of courage. I want to suggest that Christian community, the kind the Bible is inviting you and I to step into and towards, will require courage and vulnerability, and lastly, maturity. This is why churches filled with 20-somethings are a disaster waiting to happen. When there's an elder board and no one's over the age of 35, it's just a ticking time bomb, people. So if you're in the room and you're in your second half of life, this is my endorsement, my ask, my plea. We need you. I need you. I'm 41 and I've lived a little bit of life, but not enough to say, follow me all the time. I need people, we need people around us who are mature, who can discern, who have lived life and walked it out and struggled and learned and then can give it to you free of charge so you don't have to mess it up for yourself. But usually the eights on the Enneagram have to make the mistakes themselves and burn, the, burn their hands. But either way, like, we need maturity. When someone places themselves in your hands and they give you control and a seat at the table to determine the outcome of a situation, what is needed is massive amounts of maturity. This is what Paul prays for the church in Philippians chapter 1, that you would be growing in maturity. Matt could have handled my news in all kinds of ways. You know, the classic, like, I'm going to put this on the prayer chain for everybody to pray about. Because every Christian college has that, you know. Or he could have said, Micah, you're an RA, you're a worship leader in chapel. Like, I'm so disappointed in you. Could have said all kinds of things. But maturity stepped in and entered into my mess and helped me walk out. Maturity reigned in that moment, and it has forever shaped my life. Jesus came and made the claim that he's come to show us the best kind of life. When, he asked the question, when he's asked the question, what's the most important, he says, love God and love others. And this is how the world will know that you love me, and that you're a part of this thing I'm doing, by how you love one another. And that your communities will be marked by sacrificial love for one another. And if community is the places where you're free and unafraid to show up fully and be known by others, then that's what I'm inviting you to move towards. Radical, authentic community where you can fully be yourself, masks off, be loved and welcomed and invited to keep moving towards the resurrected Jesus, who's the only one in the room who has the power, the will, the discernment to invite, challenge, transform, and move us towards who we've been called to be. 
It's the invitation to move, move towards the well in the center with others and intention. So an invitation, wherever you are at this morning, if community, the kind I'm talking about, is not integral in a part of your life or a growing part of it, I want to invite you to move towards that as your pastor. This is a movement towards maturity and growth and adulting. So let's do that together. It will not be easy. It will be messy. People will get hurt. Absolutely. And when we do, we say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Help me see what I didn't see because this is what maturing, emotionally healthy adults do. So that's the kind of church I want to invite us to be. If you're not interested in that, I'm afraid you may have entered into the wrong place. But if you are, I believe it's life. I believe it's the thing that Jesus invites us to. So, awaken. That's your invitation. Pray with me if you will. God, this morning, as we take just a few moments to think about community and what it means to be authentic selves who show up fully unafraid to be known and to know others. And however small of a group that looks, maybe it's a couple people, maybe it's four, maybe it's, maybe it's a dozen. For the introverts or the extroverts, discern that. But I pray that you would invite us to move towards whatever we have said no to. Maybe we have PTSD around Christian community. Maybe we've been bit and backstabbed and it has not gone well. So God, in the next few moments, would you just find us where we are? Remind us that this is the way to love. This is the way to life. Where we don't have to pretend. Where we can be honest about our strengths and our weaknesses, our failures and our triumphs. And we can share that together in community with one another. So Holy Spirit, move, guide, instruct, invite, I pray. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.